The narrative that I give for the Los Angeles River is kind of like an epic narrative of why is the river here? And that leads to why is the city here? And that goes back to tectonic plates. You know, the, the San Andreas Fault created these exceptionally large mountains, the coastal range, the San Gabriel Mountains, the Angeles Crest, thrust up these crumbling mountains that are destroyed, kind of broken to pieces by the San Andreas Fault that blocked a coastal flow of moisture. There was an exceptional amount of water that they captured in Southern California. And then that water flows down from these very broken ranges that are pushing out tons and tons of sediment and that builds this whole region. And then another fault comes up around the Santa Monica Mountains to create the San Fernando Valley, which is this incredible kind of bowl to capture that coastal water coming off the mountains that the San Andreas Fault thrust up. That bowl is defined by these other, you know, earthquake faults that this Santa Monica Mountains and created this incredible perennial flow of water through the Glendale Narrows. Los Angeles was established because it had this incredible supply of water and they had to kind of site it at a healthy distance from the river because of the flooding issues. It's sort of vision of, of being like an Arcadian place, which it still has, is somewhat rooted in that flow of water from Los Angeles River. The early flood commissioners, after the, I think the, there was a flood in 1909 that was really destructive, it kind of quickly got this depiction as this predator. They didn't obviously understand the extent to which their own actions were inducing it to become this. I also tie it back to like the Panama Canal and that moment where we suddenly had so much confidence that we could control nature at these giant scales on our own terms. My name is Alex Robinson. I am a professor at USC in the Landscape Architecture Department. I came to LA in 2005, actually, to work on the Los Angeles River. I was a graduate student at the Harvard Graduate School of Design, and I was fascinated by Los Angeles in general. I had actually done an internship there while I was at the GSD, the Graduate School of Design. And then there was this uh, incredible project, the Los Angeles River Revitalization Master Plan, which I saw was sort of the most interesting landscape architecture project I could imagine. But I also was like fascinated by the, the opportunity we had to sort of think a little more creatively and have a more sophisticated, forward-looking perspective on so much of the world that we're going to redesign and reinvent because of global warming, because of environmental issues, environmental health, because of human populations. There's a necessity to sort of have an attitude about all that and to engage with it and be smart about it. And we can't just dismiss it because it doesn't look as nice. Um, in fact, we might have to learn how to love it a little bit more than we do as like a designer and landscape architect. I see my relationship as someone who can maybe help give a different idea for its transformation, that I can be uh, someone who 
helps cultivate a better river for us in the future, but also understand what the value of it is now. I see it as a place of recreation and exploration. I see it as something that is still quite wild. The Los Angeles River Integrated Design Lab, LA Riddle, this lab that I've conceived of, is based in this amazing hydraulic modeling lab that the Los Angeles City built in the 1960s to model a variety of smaller scale issues like streets and gutters and hydraulic flow to, to basically drain as much of the city into the Los Angeles River. Um, as, as carefully and effectively as they could because the city and the county were in charge of draining the water, getting the water to the Los Angeles River. Uh, and I've been doing research on the side where I've been trying to understand how do we design the Los Angeles River in an imaginative and inclusive way such that it is receptive and responsive to the hydraulic constraints that it has. Because, of course, we can't just rip out all the concrete and put in a bunch of uh, vegetation. It would flood the city and create a catastrophe. And studying the history of the river, I knew that like, it was considered to be at the greatest threat of damage from flooding of any city in the country in the 30s and 40s and 50s. That sort of necessity of the river has been, has been lost, but the engineers have not forgotten. And the engineers are the ones that are largely responsible for changing the river or, or, or reimagining it because of that. So the, the work that I've been doing with modeling is trying to hybridize civil engineering hydraulic modeling with landscape architecture design practices and community engagement um, and all, all the sort of intended things that landscape architects like to do in terms of having a, an inclusive and an integrated design process. And, and the thing that I found really interesting about hydraulic modeling is that Physical hydraulic modeling is still a very important and viable way of modeling these rivers, and that it's actually much higher resolution than digital modeling is even today. So this is kind of an incredible confluence of design and also this precision tool. And what's interesting about the history of Los Angeles River is that it was designed using physical hydraulic models all the way back from, to, from the 40s. And they were just you know, thinking of them as purely technical tools, and they didn't think about the kind of opportunity to like engage a more multivalent design process and thought of and thought about the river or conception of the river and so i did a, a hydraulic modeling project where we kind of we built models and we tried it out and we were able to kind of create really viable models and that actually led to a partnership with the army corps of engineers to work together and try to collaborate which was the first partnership bef between a art school and an army corps office in the country for the next kind of phase of the river restoration, the Army Corps is going to model the river again, and they probably have to do physical modeling because of this particular hydraulic condition that is could be catastrophic for uh, flooding. And so I've been talking to them and the city, and, I was, and my, my proposal for the hydraulic modeling lab is to do a kind of intermediate model that's a draft model of what their final model would be, not as precise a kind of set of uh, analysis that they would eventually do, but a more flexible, 
model that allows designers and artists and other participants to engage in the process and sketch out technically viable, imaginative, multivalent river designs. I noticed that the city has this modeling lab and I've brokered with them this agreement that they would give it to me for three to six years to build models with the help of their staff. They have a water tank, they have an office and, a, and this amazing wood shop. It's all, it's all kind of like a time capsule from like the 60s almost and like with just accumulated materials and binders and software manuals and these old models laid out because I guess they can go back to them if they need to. The, the goal is to make these kind of models that are technical and look out to the community and to work with my students and a group of collaborators to think about modeling the river and it's probably going goes in two different directions one is just community engagement and trying to make a integrated design for the river so maybe we have to design the maintenance ramps as opportunities for public space and then the other side of it is actually going into like harder science where we i want to work with this uh, collaborator caltech to think about how we model vegetation which no one really knows how to do very well it's sort of something that we could try to advance with this very applied project where there happens to be this like full-scale model next door which is the river and ideas that we wouldn't kind of get in the way of all the different efforts but that we would just kind of try to enrich and provide that is good for both the technical and the kind of public and the artistic all these different sides of it and landscape architects might have an important role in bridging between those two worlds in a way that is informed and technically responsive and respectful to the what the engineers need to do, but also doesn't stifle the potential for like a artistic engagement for the community to be the authors in the kind of reconception of what the river is. We do these studios where we really like dive into the technical documents and technocracy and learn that and really understand the perspective and the point of view of the engineers and the kind of constraints that they're working with. We try to represent those ideas um, and then think of how we can create tools to engage with them that allow us more freedom and flexibility and fluidity, you know, to create, to kind of understand the opportunity for design and, and uh, flexibility within that seemingly really rigid system. More and more landscapes are asked to be more than just a cultural object or have a cultural function, that they have to do much more than that. They have to be sustainable and deal with global warming or drought or things like that. Normally when you teach students in this day and age, their interest is really just on the sustainability issues. And in a way, the kind of cultural function and value and just the whole cultural parameter gets lost because we're so focused on the sustainability issues. And in the Los Angeles River, there's an interesting inverse to that because what's missing from it in in large parts is a kind of human perspective that is cultivated or a human engagement that is understood and valued. Uh, There's no place for the body within it. And, And all these kinds of issues are the kind of missing cultural parameter 
And the sustainability issue, of course, is really relevant too, but there is that interesting way in which it kind of inverses what landscape architects are sort of thinking that is the mandate for what they're supposed to be doing in the sense that the mandate for a long time has been like, we need to make this world more sustainable, which I think is totally what we're one of our major mandates, of course. But then in these engineering paradigms, it's sometimes how do we make it more sustainable, but also how do we have a cultural dimension to these things that are defining our urban world, our, our world in general? And how do we take you know the engineers and ecologists, how do we talk to them and create a common ground where we can also think about aesthetics and community value and engagement? Two really formative things in the Los Angeles River's design were, was one was that it coincided with the Rio Seco freeway. That, that's when they sort of they saw that reinforced concrete might be a good idea because they had tried to put concrete on it before that to spray it on and it all got ripped out. And then the other thing was that it was during the WPA and they had to think about how they would create projects that used as many hands as possible. The Royal Seco was kind of part of that as well where they would do calculations about like how do we make this project use a lot of hands. And one of the th- interesting and kind of really great products of that calculation was that they decided to use a trapezoidal channel because it basically by having a trapezoidal channel, you didn't need to have as much scaffolding and people could walk on the, on the trapezoidal part and tie the concrete um, rebar and do all that work without as much scaffolding and just employed more people. So it was actually like if you did the calculation, you could spend more money and use less people if you did it vertical walls. And if you could use more, you could use more people. If you did trapezoidal, they basically chose the option that favored the body, that favored the human body, and its occupation of that space in the construction calculation by thinking about how they would use the maximum number of people. And because of that, I think that's completely critical to the river's current renaissance: is that we can walk down that bank and have a picnic on it. But I think that there is a way in which we see the river as a kind of ruined river, as a destruction, a self-inflicted wound. There was this confluence in the 80s where the Tillman plant, which was the sewage plant upstream from, uh, on the river, was open just to recycle water so that we could be more, we could smarter with our with our sewage water in Los Angeles. The ironic thing is they built this amazing Japanese garden in the Tillman plant. And that they thought this is this is going to be a, a water source for gardens, and you know city colleges and all these things across the city. But of course they didn't have the piping immediately to send this other graded water. So you can't drink it um, to these places. So they were just like, what do we do with it? We'll just dump it in the river. Didn't think of the consequence of that. And that's what rebirthed the river. The same year, practically, that Louis McAdams and his friends broke into the river and walk down the river. So there was a really interesting confluence where you had this kind of like artist seeing this rebirth and um, becoming this major actor and force. One of the things I've sort of talked about is like the idea of like a, an infratopia. Infra is like under, below, submerged. It was the, the gravel on the, underneath the railroad tracks. It was this kind of intermediate between like the rational of human industry and like the wild nature below. And now I think that in cities and in the world increasingly, that is where we live. That intermediate fills our views and, our, and fills our lives, is, are those kind of infrastructural 
intermediate moments. They're not like supporting some other thing. We just live in that. We're making the new world. We're not just solving a crisis.